Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, pastors and men of God. Um, yeah, before we go on, I just want to pray for just especially for all the pastors around here. Uh, our organizers want me to announce that we wanted to move to this side so that latecomers won't have to cross all the way. <laughs> so let's leave the, some of the seats. No, you, you, you can stay, Harry, or except you want to join the boys. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> you, you don't have to vacate all the seats here. It's just, yeah. Uh, uh, yes, yes. It's just to create some seats around here so that when some people come who are coming late, it's easy for them to get a seat here rather than them having to go to the other side. All right, uh, can we please help me appreciate Henry for, for that encouragement. Uh, I'm going to get on the platform with Henry uh, for us to interact and get into uh, uh, question and answers in a bit. And uh, if you have any thought, any comment, any questions based on what he has shared or you want to pull some more things out of his mind, then we'll be able to do that. But before that, I'd like to speak uh, very briefly on a thought. Um, well, uh, I, know, <laughs> I know I'm in my own territory, but I feel like uh, a guest minister or, or something like that because uh, FD actually gave me a topic, uh, 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 the... The Nigerian director here, Chini, said I should speak on um, profiling the entrepreneurs in your local church. Yeah, profiling the entrepreneurs in your local church, uh, the role of the, the leader. And I just want to do that in a few minutes. Um, again, Henry, um, uh, Joe, and Ben, we thank you for coming and Andrew as well. Uh, uh, most of the people in this room and people online are pastors and men of God. What faith-driven entrepreneur is doing, uh, which also you know, gets into faith-driven investors, uh, that's another arm of their ministry, uh, what they're doing and why we chose to partner with them as Exponential Network and the Elevation Church is because we not only believe in partnership, we also believe that uh, mentoring, discipling uh, entrepreneurs will help to build a tribe within our church, if I can put it that way, uh, that will model Christ in a different way. When Henry was speaking, one of the things I noted from his, his, his talk was the, is the, fact the, uh, the fact that when we think about culture shapers, we think about music icons, sportsmen, and all that. But as we go into the future, entrepreneurs will shape culture uh, in the dimension of some of those people have shaped culture and maybe more. Because, that, I mean, uh, Elon Musk is... Is an entrepreneur, but buying up Twitter, for instance, uh, just made him a culture shaper on a different scale. 
because just tweeting something uh, from that is Andrew can literally cause a war in our world today. And if you don't call that influence, what do you call it? Yeah. He, he just tweeting something in the morning can cause, have a ripple effect in the New York stock market uh, that can just scatter everything. When the guy started tweeting about crypto, for instance, last year, uh, the, the crypto thing was just moving anyhow, just because Elon uh, showed a bit of interest in crypto. Uh, and you know, if you're a singer and you sing about crypto, people just dance. Uh, they, it may not move them to do anything. <laughs> but for someone like him, and we want to change Africa, we want to change our world, we want to change globally. Uh, it then presupposes that if we do a lot more with our entrepreneurs, we may also be on the road to that. Yeah. Uh, the influence in the popular culture shaping uh, platforms like music, like entertainment, will not dwindle because we always need entertainment. Uh, but as people realize that it's not going to be about fun only, we have to make money and we have to change our world. We have to create solutions. Then the respect for entrepreneurs will go up a lot more. And that generally will make entrepreneurs culture shapers. So literally I'm saying that we all have culture shapers in our congregation that we're not paying attention to. People are loaded with solutions, who are loaded with creative ability that God wants to use uh, to bring respite to different parts of the world. And, and that's why we're here today, and that's why we're partnering with uh, FDE to be able to give uh, some change in our paradigm so that we can follow through on what we have already started. Uh, I'd love to read a portion of the scripture uh, uh, from from Romans, yeah. Uh, Romans chapter 12. And I would love to read from, I think, verse number six from the New Living Translation. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, to speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's if it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take responsibility seriously. If you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Eat what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Uh, let me stop there. I read this scripture just to make a statement, which is that this scripture tells us that God has given people different kind of gifts. That's what I want to establish. Different kind of gift. He only admonishes that whatever gift you have identified that God has given you, make sure you use it well. In the New King James said, if your gift is leadership, he said, lead diligently. 
when I read it for the first time as a leader, then it dawned on me that you can lead sloppily. <laughs> you, can, you can lead anyhow. Yeah. Uh, and it says lead diligently. Uh, but another point I want to bring from there is that we, 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 we focus on certain areas of gifting as pastors and ministers more than some areas of gifting. Because in verse 6 there, it, it, you know, it talks about uh, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing different things well. And it started with prophecy. He said, if he has given the ability to prophesy, he said, speak with as much faith. Yeah. Uh, uh, some of those things that look spiritual get our attention. And it's not bad. But right within the congregation, you have somebody who has a gift of wealth creation, a gift of bringing solution, a gift of enterprise. What's the attitude of the average pastor towards somebody with a gift of enterprise? not a gift of prophecy. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. We really don't feel we're responsible for them, are we? Like we feel about somebody with a gift of prophecy. Because the average pastor feels that I need to help somebody with a gift of teaching or pastoral gift to nurture their gift, maybe because I'm looking for a successor or people that will relieve me of this burden of ministry. <laughs> So we tend to focus more on such people because they have immediate application to the work that we are called to do. If at all we see entrepreneurs or people who have a knack for wealth creation or starting business, we look at them like, okay, uh, maybe it will give to the church if the work is blessed. But how do we also help them steward their gift? Just like we help people steward their gifts that are spiritual. Yeah. I got, you know, a, a, I mean, my mind was jolted once I was in a mentoring, small group mentoring with uh, one of my uh, mentors, Bill Highbells in Chicago, uh, in Willow Creek many years ago. This is maybe about 15 years ago or so. In a small room like this, one of their rooms in Willow Creek. And when it was time for uh, Q&A, uh, because of how many people, I mean, the guy that owns uh, Saks Fifth Avenue, or something like that, as the clothing chain, yeah, was brought in that day to speak to us, to speak to pastors about how to behave towards uh, rich people in your church. And High Bells had quite a number of rich folks around him. Um, uh, so, after all that, when it was time for q and I said, okay, I'm going to ask Ibels this question. What, what is the role of a pastor in the life of a wealthy person in the congregation? Because I know at Willow Creek, they have some stupendously rich people yeah, in, in that church. So the guy looked at me, smiled, and said, God, man, <laughs> Um, said, I know you love people who are spiritual as a pastor. Said, I used to be like that. And I still love spiritual people. The only thing is that we need to identify uh, people within our congregation and understand that God gives gifts in different ways. Yeah. In different ways. So, not everybody within our church 
will be hyper spiritual for ministry. Some of them will be hyper spiritual for business. <laughs> and when you ask them to pray, all they want to pray about is business. <laughs> and how they're going to create solutions and how they're going to build wealth and all that. It's a passion. It's a gift that God has given them. A good leader, therefore, must pay attention to helping people steward the gift that God has given them. So if we don't pay attention to entrepreneurs within our church, we are not helping them to steward their gift, just like we should help people steward their pastoral gift, uh, their gift of prophecy, their, you know, any gift that is left without being, you know, uh, coached around how to steward it well, instead of being a blessing to your church, maybe a curse to your church. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, which is more common. Somebody has a gift of prophecy, and the pastor refuses to curate, superintend, and help the person to, the, that gift of prophecy can scatter your church. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, it can eventually scatter your church. Yeah, because the person can just go rogue, prophesying to everybody, giving them, you know, what and all that, and it creates a problem. So it's the same thing. Uh, today, we have too many people who get into business within our congregations, and after a while, we may not even see them again. And as they become big, they really become big, and they don't want anybody to get in their business. So, and because we have not taken the rightful position in their early days, we lose our, you know, opportunity to hold them accountable because we have not showed any interest at helping them to steward this gift and taking responsibility with them as their pastors and people who have spiritual oversight over them. So, um, the, the next few minutes that I have, quickly, one is, like I said, stewarding the gifts within your church. It's very important that we help people steward the gift within our church, especially people who have the gift of, of, of enterprise. Um, but how do we do that well enough? How do we do that well enough um, if we don't use certain tools? Yeah, I thought I had some slides. Somebody is not looking at it or something. Yeah, um, how do we do that well enough? We, we, one of the tools that we need to pay attention to is the intelligent use of data. The intelligent use of data. Um, to be able to know who do we have in church? Who are the people that we have in church? Yeah, uh, It's important that we're able to use data intelligently. Um, in a church of, let's say, a couple of hundreds of people, uh, 300, 400, 500 people, who are they? Who are those people within our church? Who is sitting in the pew from Sunday to Sunday? You know, we say men lie, women lie, even pastors lie sometimes. But data does not lie. Yeah. 
data. See, a lot of the time, as leaders and pastors, we ask people like Jesus, who do men say that we are? Or what's going on around here? People will give you information based on their perspective. Yeah. And God help you if they are not prejudiced. Because if they are, they'll give you information based on their prejudice. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But when you choose to work with data, data is usually <laughs> your best friend because it tells you who is in the congregation, who is you know, coming to church regularly, who, what, what's the segmentation within our church. And I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, in the next five minutes, just tell us how this is important, how this is important. When we start to use data well in our quest to shepherd our people, to lead our people, we know exactly who they are and what they need from us. Can you put my next slide on quickly? Next slide, quickly, quickly. I want to show something. Yeah. Can the person there hear me? Okay. Can you put the next slide on quickly? I just want to quickly show something. Or is it struggling with the system? When the best use of data is to be able to segment for the sake of impact. So within the congregation, um, if you use this cash flow quadrant model, which is popular with Robert Kiyosaki, uh, the guy who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, in the congregation, you have people who are employees, all right? Uh, we have people who are self-employed, and then we have people who are business owners, and we have people who are investors. One way or the other, everybody in your congregation will fall to one bracket or the other. You may choose to call it a different name. Yeah? Like we say employees or people in their career path, and some of them may even be on the career path, but at the same time, they have a, what we call in this part of the world a side also. Uh -huh. So you see them in two different contracts. Yeah, I'm an employee, but I'm also self-employed because I do certain things. The only thing is that that thing that I do cannot exist without me. So I do it only on weekends when I'm not at work, where I do my nine to five. So you have all those kind of people. And then you have people who have made the transition clean and clear. The business owners, they started a business, they're running a business. Their needs are different. Their perspective to life will definitely be different. There are many things that they need from their church and from their pastor that if we continue to do one size fits all, we will not be able to maximally bless them, disciple them, and help them steal what their gift. And you also have people who have transitioned from, you know, I run a business, I'm an entrepreneur, to you know, people like Henry, who is now an investor, yeah, and a minister. <laughs> you know, when I grow up, I want to be like Henry, yeah. <laughs> you know, you have people who are investors, literally. They practically don't run any business on their own. They just, now, and there may be other segmentations, but just for the sake of somebody who's asking, how do we, what kind of data should we get? 
get data that can help you segment people in these different quadrants. And you can add other quadrants to it, as the case may be, I'm just using this as an example. When we have this, what does it do for us when we have data that can help us segment in this dimension? One of the things that it does for us is that it helps us to do a bit of you know, targeted discipleship. And that's where FDE comes in. Because when we talk about creating community connection, what drives a very strong community, part of it is content. Yeah. And some of us don't even know if we pull entrepreneurs within our church together, what are they going to be doing? What are they going to be studying? What are they going to do? And that's where FDA comes in. Because the contents are available from video content to outlines, discussion groups, and all that. And they're in a, a big community where content is always coming in and they're growing together. And we as pastors can speak into those communities from time to time, encouraging them, praying for them. But there are commonalities in their need that the right content will address and give them the right perspective to uh, how they should go about meeting their needs as entrepreneurs and business owners. And then they're able to learn from people who've done it over and again and who, are, who now have a very you know, good grasp of how to navigate life as a business owner. So one of the things that this will do, and I'll, I'll stop on that lastly, is that it helps us to fix the discipleship gap. Our discipleship curriculum is too one-size-fits-all. Yeah. The reason why some people will not even participate in our discipleship uh, pipeline is because they feel that the things that are there don't address their need. Yeah. And even when we do small groups, our small groups will thrive more if we have a number of them that are targeted towards helping people in certain areas of life or in certain seasons of their life. Because if you have people who are trying to navigate a startup experience and you put them in a small group together, their needs are you know, similar. So they're able to walk through life, especially when they now have the right kind of content to drive discussions and they have the opportunity uh, to draw resources even from within the church. Uh, because depending on the size of the church, you have people at, the different uh, at different levels of experience. So uh, just like, for instance, it would be always a joy for me uh, if somebody says, come and speak to this small group of leaders, uh, whether leaders in business or pastors, anything around leadership or, and all that, I feel like they are my tribe. So even if their level of experience is you know, lower, then I want to pour into them. And if we're at the same level of experience, I want to drink from them. But I'm not going to feel like fish out of water. When people are navigating uh, you know, very you know, deep stuff and murky waters in their uh, business life or enterprise, you know, uh, entrepreneurial experience, and you tell them to sit down, 
uh, people who are earning salaries to be discussing Bible. They are thinking of how to pay those people's salary at the end of the month. Yeah. So their issues are different. So they may participate just to please you. <laughs> but at every opportunity to get out of such place and sit with people uh, who make them feel like uh, uh, they, they are not terrible or they are not doing badly or who will encourage them or who are on the same path with them, they will jump at that a lot more. So uh, the, the gap that we have in our, in our discipleship effort I believe can be fixed if we pay more attention to you know, just segmenting how we look at uh, people within our congregation, especially from this point of view. And I'm saying again that if you connect this to the effort of FDE, uh, which is about content, community, connection for uh, entrepreneurs so that people can continue to build faith-driven enterprises uh, uh, that can become big, but at the center of it and at the core of it will be the values of the kingdom of God. Then uh, all of us will, will, simply speaking, we won't labor in vain. Let me just put it that way. Because if God blesses somebody within your congregation and it has the kind of values that Henry was talking about, uh, to be generous, to be faithful, to still be a part of a local church, notwithstanding how big they become, if that value is part of their DNA, it stays with them. But what we have today around Africa, we have what I choose to call loose cannons. Yeah? Um, people who have been empowered through the local church, but the local church uh, has not been able to create a structure that is a part of what they're doing, so that when they look back, they feel I'm part of this. And notwithstanding how God has blessed what I've done, I have a faith community that has always been a part of my experience. So I can become big, but I'm just a, a part of the puzzle for the kingdom of God. I'm, I, I don't exist alone. We have too many people who have their root from the church, but when it became big, they feel like they are all on their own. They exist alone. Uh, it happens in different areas, even in politics. But let's narrow it to enterprise, which is what we're discussing today. Uh, we have too many entrepreneurs who, uh, who, who, you know, who are supposed to see themselves as a vital part of the faith community, but they don't because they get the bulk of their mentoring and their coaching and connection and community from outside of the church. Yeah. So they trace their business success more to the networks that they have outside of the family of faith. And you know, whoever pays the piper will dictate the tune. Yeah. So, thank you for your listening attention. So, uh, well, I'm gonna invite Henry to join me here. And um, if you're just joining us, uh, this is um, uh, a symposium put together by Faith Driven Entrepreneurs in collaboration with the Exponential Network. And uh, we have some pastors online and some in this room. And all we're discussing is how can we help entrepreneurs within our churches uh, to develop certain mindsets and to, uh, how do we create also a community of faith for entrepreneurs uh, to 
uh, be able to get access to content, uh, to be able to develop uh, the necessary partnerships within the church and see themselves as a major part of the body of Christ and not as outsiders. And uh, we have Henry here, Henry Kessner, who is the founder of Faith Driven Entrepreneurs, uh, which is a global organization uh, that seeks to create the right community for Christian entrepreneurs to thrive and to be impactful. So we're going to just go into a session of uh, comments, questions, and all that just, just to wrap this up. All right. Please make welcome Ari again.